Hi, I'm Joshua Schubart, and you're listening to Awakened Nation with Brad Zollis. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up. Tired of the way things used to be, they are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zollis, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors, and the game changers. Everyday people, just like you and me, from all over, we're doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Josh, how's it going, man? It's going good. Thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> I've been dying to get you on, actually, uh, you know, because you and I have known each other for a long time. We have since 2011, I think. I think yeah. that's what we met. I think it was Starbucks. Yeah. Did it we was, meet at Starbucks? Yeah, it was in it was in the Barnes and Noble Starbucks where I was that's a priest right. at the time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me open up your bio. There we are. I had to restart my computer. Yeah, John, this is the best part about this show. I know a lot of famous people, and some people will actually ask me, how do you get famous people on your show? It's like, well, I knew them before they were famous, <laughs> or I helped write their act. You know, they now have yeah, HBO absolutely. specials. And I just go and call up and I go, hey, you want to be on the show? 30 seconds. And they say yes. <laughs> it's literally like that. So, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're excited today because I I am not only a friend of this guy, but I'm a big fan, especially since I've seen him on the Tick. Oh. Uh, he played Frank on the Tick. Uh, welcome to the show, Mr. Joshua Schubert. Oh, hello. Yes, I did play Frank on the Tick. I loved that show. It was a fantastic experience. Yeah, I'm gonna read your bio in a second, but I I wanted to dive into that right away simply because. You were also a fan of the tick as a kid, I heard. I was. Uh, yeah. You want to tell this story? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, when I was a kid, I felt like weird and and out of place largely because of my life. I was homeless. I grew up and I was in foster care. Uh, and I and I always felt weird and out of place. And I found the tick in this time in my life. Uh, where I needed something like positive and weird. And I watched the cartoon show first and it was all these weirdos doing weird crap all the time, but it was hilariously funny and everyone loved each other. Even the bad guys loved each other. Uh, so it was an interesting thing to see like this weird group of people that came from a place of love in a time that I really needed it. It, it really connected with, with me hard uh, and then I went out and I read all the comic books and uh, and then I ended up on the show and I got to work with the creator of The Tick, Ben Edlund. He's an amazing man. Wow. Uh, we're still friends now. Uh, and it was an incredible experience where I got to work in a on a piece of IP that I loved so, so much. And uh, yeah. Isn't it crazy how life works out that way? It's really, it's really uh... crazy. Yeah. Because, you know, I think of some of the the people I've had on the show and at a distance, I, I was a fan and I thought to myself, I could never get that person. But uh, here it is, you know, here it happens. But um, I want to talk about this. And this is, you know, I'm a huge science fiction fan. So sure. comedy doesn't always work in certain genres. And but when it's done right, it just sinks, you know, and the hardest part, I think, for writing comedy is both science fiction and superhero genre. And the sure. Tick did it right. I mean, you look at Galaxy Quest or the mm -hmm. Orville or the Tick, they nailed it. Did they you did. notice that right away? Yeah. I mean, I love the Tick. I, I started watching it 
uh, as a cartoon a little bit, but when the movie came or the TV series came on, I was like, I got to watch this. Well, it's really easy to satirize, right? So mm-hmm. if it's done com- comedically as, as a, as a satire, then it, it just sings, man. Like it's, it's funny and, 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 it's, and it's extremely topical and it just works. Yeah. I learned a long time ago as a, as a marketing guy, if I want to stay in touch with the next trend or the next big pulse, I look at two things. I watch cartoons that the kids are watching. Oh, sure. You know, I would sit down with my nephew and I was like, well, what's popular now? And then the second thing I look at is what are the kids today doing on college campuses? What are the kids today? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I just hit 60. You're, you're going to look. <laughs> what? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I made it, baby. You made it. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, so I, I've always been a fan of uh, to stay on the pulse of what everybody's watching and doing today. And um, I turned my girlfriend on to the tick uh, probably about um, six, seven months ago. I go, come on, you got to sit down and watch this. My friend uh, Josh is on the show. And she's like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. Oh, good. Yeah. And what I really loved about your performance as Frank is you were so matter of fact, like, yeah, I'm a criminal and, you know, I'm listening to the, whatever henchman or henchwoman you're working with. You're just like, Hey, we could make this better. You know, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like they chose you in the HR department to be the representative for the union. And uh, I saw that that was really you in that performance. Let's talk cool. about that. It was, it was really cool because my, character was originally supposed to be a two episode arc henchman that then got blown up um and then the creators uh, so like ben and then um the producers and two of the writers really loved me as a person um and they loved my work and they just kept um writing me in episode after episode and that was for season one uh, so I was only supposed to be in two and then I ended up in six and then they brought me back for season two. Um, and I knew how many episodes that I was going to be in then. Uh, so it was, it was a really cool transformation to watch this guy. And it was funny because I got yelled at every single day <laughs> on, <laughs> on, on, on my first day because I was bringing because I had watched the car- cartoon and the first live action and I've read mm-hmm. all the books, I knew kind of like Van Edlin's world really well in my head. So I was bringing this character in that the d- d- director didn't understand why I was playing a henchman this way. <laughs> um, because you normally hench- henchmen just, they're like, they're just like, I'm going to shoot you in the face and I'm, you know, like blah, blah, blah. Um, but I think that's what really got them to latch on to me was they're like, oh, this this guy gets the world. Um, so we we want to keep him here. I, also cool. think, I think it's more than getting the, that world. I think it was uh, playing against type Yeah, uh, that always wins the day. And you did, you know, if you know nothing about the tick, that's kind of what you did. It is. Yeah, I, I mean, but that's kind of who I am as a person, too. Like, I'm a yeah. larger guy i work out and i have muscles and stuff but i'm really just a big sweetheart <laughs> and whenever i can let that shine shine through i do uh, i love to i love to show larger dudes for what we actually are because most of us are just like they're just like me we're just happy to be here we want to hug and we don't want to fight yeah. you you know 
Like it's just the way that it's just the way it is. You're you're what I call a gentle giant. I'm a gentle uh, giant, but I will defend myself and my family if I have to. Absolutely, yeah, hundred percent. I wouldn't want to mess with you. Um, I'm going to read your bio real quick, but uh, folks, I, I I'm just jazzed to have you on the show today because um, we've known each other for a while and I've tried to get you on. So this well, before is you a read bit- it, I I just want to tell everybody that is. Uh, all, all of your little, little listeners and and everybody that uh, Brad was one of my earliest supporters, um, <laughs> and I th- think I texted you a couple of years ago saying saying thank you uh, because I was really like I was working as a barista and I was really sad <laughs> because I had just gotten out of my master's program and I just wanted to be acting and you were like listen man like it'll be okay like if you really want to make make this happen you just got to go out there and work hard and make it happen for yourself and i really listened to that so and i still really appreciate that because you were one of the positive people that like were really amped about hearing what i was up to so it was great that touches my heart that thank you that that you remember that because um every every once in a while you'll meet somebody who has that je ne sais quoi that's Ooh. certain something and um you had it man you you had it you know Thank you. you it's like when they said um i guess uh, i forget the star when he was bagging groceries i think it was cary grant or somebody he was he was in a scene where he was bagging groceries he didn't have i think he had an under five role you know and oh, yeah. somebody said that's a movie star and they're like what do you mean he's bagging groceries he's like but look how he's doing it and you were like that you had this there's something about you that um, I can see why you're successful at this. Cause not many people, they struggle for years. You started getting acting work pretty, pretty quickly, you know, pretty, pretty quickly and pretty consistently. And I also uh, diversified as much as I could, as quickly as I could. Uh, it's, it's mainly because I'm a huge entertainment industry nerd. So I just wanted to learn and <laughs> do as much as I could in side of the industry um so i ended up doing tons of stuff i mean you can read the bio now because that's part of yeah. the show <laughs> oh, thank, thanks man i appreciate yeah. it born and raised in long island new york joshua Schuart has been working as a professional actor for over a decade joshua had a tough childhood growing up homeless and in the foster care system at 14 his foster parents put him in catholic school and his life took a turn for the better he discovered acting in his early teens as an escape from his day-to-day challenges. He would often say that acting literally saved his life, giving him the drive and motivation to make his dreams come true. Joshua attended the Oslo Conservatory for actor training and got a BA in acting from Stony Brook University. Upon graduation, he fully immersed himself in the craft, building a reputation as a hardworking and talented actor. I remember some of those um, auditions you would go on you would mm. cut out uh, at Barnes and Noble early, and then you'd come yeah. back and go, "I got it." You know, I was really excited for you, man. Yeah. Uh, Joshua has been seen in projects ranging from small indie films to walking the boards at the Metropolitan Opera. Some of his recent work includes a recurring role in the Amazon ser- series The Tick, and appearances in Seven Seconds on Netflix and High Maintenance on HBO. His voice can also be heard on a long list of audiobooks available on Amazon Audible, including Blue Summer, Lorelei, and Blaze of Ecstasy. In addition to acting, Joshua is a highly skilled stuntman, stage combatant, 
with training in hand-to-hand, almost every blade weapon, and most guns. Passionate as well about stepping behind the camera, Joshua is the co-founder of the production company Two Ladies and a Giant. Together with his production company, Joshua created, after a series about a widower navigating life and the dating scene after losing his wife. The series starring Joshua is a story of life, love, and rebirth, and streams on IFT Network. And this is what I loved. Growing up, reading comic books, which is what I did as well, Joshua hopes to work with Marvel in the near future, and working with Taika Waititi is a dream of his. Also a plus-size model, Joshua hopes his work in front and behind the camera will open doors for larger people in the industry, break the stereotypes, and prove that they are more than just the funny are bad guys. By the way, you were in GQ. We're going to talk about, I forgot about that. We got to talk about this. Yeah, Yeah, He's definitely a millennial because in his free time, Joshua likes to build computers, read, play different sports, and spend time with his wife and daughter. What a cutie pie, by the way. To learn more about Joshua, follow him on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Josh Schubart. And we'll put all those in the show notes for everybody. I mean, um, I guess it's X now, right? Because they changed the name. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever that uh, is. Uh, I would love to see you work with uh, Watiti, uh, especially on uh, The Mandalorian. I think you'd be. Oh, man. I would crap. love to work with with him. Like his, his like comedic aesthetic and everything like i've i've been in love with him since i saw his um what what we do in the shadows short film like in like the early thousands um which like obviously spawned the the uh fx show but it was just so good it was such a great short well you know what's interesting about your profession now we have the ability to do incredible special effects on a very low level budget you know, sure. the, the software that's out there now, uh, the production values, they've all raised and come up higher while the price has come down. The camera that you buy today used, you know, for three grand used to cost $250,000. Right. So now you're, you're doing all this production and things like this. Uh, and I love uh, the work you are doing. I mean, I've seen some of your side projects uh, as well, like the transformation of Ben Grimm. Yeah. Yeah, so that is my gorilla audition for the MCU and the Fantastic Four. Uh, like, like you um, read in my bio, bio one of my like life goals is to work for the MCU and to be in that universe. Um, and I really connect with the character of the Thing. Uh, I love that character. I love his arc, his tra- tra- trajectory, his New Yorkness, just just like everything about him. Um, So I made my own short film and I made it with professionals and I hired a great special effects team and it looks awesome. Sounds, sounds awesome. And I'm really happy with it. Uh, We're going to play a clip from that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Josh's masterwork right now to get him on MCU. Um, The transformation of Ben Grimm roll the tape. Come on, let's get you to the lab. Less talking, more walking, big guy. I should have never let you. Don't convince me to go up there. We don't know that. 
What? What? D -d -d Don't worry about it. What is? Come on. What? Come on. I'm gonna go get the scanner. Clobber in time. I'm excited by this, but uh, it it does. It boils down to not only the actor's performance, but um, your your costume and the special effects is just uh, a lot of fun. I, I would imagine it was. I mean, I mean, it wasn't my first rodeo with uh, uh, body prosthetics. Um, I was in a pilot with. Gilbert Godfrey that that n n never went anywhere uh, where I played a giant anthropomorphic manatee. Um, so I was used to working in that type of uh, right. makeup and it's not easy. You like have to keep the performance real, but you also have to over articulate your eyes and face movements so that it comes yeah. through. Um, but so we've never seen this character transform on screen i feel properly um to me it's like a horror movie vibe feel and that's how we shot it it's mm -hmm. the transformation into a monster because the character the whole one of the main arcs of ben is he has to come to terms with the fact that he is now this new version of himself and he has to accept that fully but in the beginning of it it's this horrible painful disturbing trans transformation and we've never seen it and it's a big part of his uh, his journey. So I just wanted to show it, and also it's cool to pe for people to actually like see the see it happen. Like it's right. a fun thing to show. Yeah. Well, that that particular character from the Fantastic Four, he's the only one that has this transformation that literally leaves him non-human. Yeah, he and a rock monster. yeah, and and so all his his parts, he can't even pick up a cup properly he can't right. eat properly he can't do any of these things properly so uh i take my hats off i take my hat off to you for doing this but also i wish you best of luck man because 
uh, right now with the Marvel Universe, it's just incredible to watch how they have built these comic books that I loved as a kid. You know, anybody who's a baby boomer, uh, we remember the golden age of comic books. You know, Spider-Man came out and Iron Man came out the year I was born, you know, in 60, 63. So you're you're sitting there and I'm like, I've for years, Josh, this is crazy. I would i was just waiting for them to do it right each time and they never could get it because the special effects could never catch up and uh you're gonna laugh at this my best friend is dieter hauer i'm giving a shout out to him uh on friday nights we would rush to burger king or the red barn and then we'd walk back to the house we'd go upstairs and this is in the summertime and we'd glue ourselves on a friday night at eight o'clock to watch the incredible hulk with bill bixby and lou frigno yeah and here's the funniest part about this my friend Dieter, he doesn't read comic books. He doesn't like science fiction. He doesn't like any of this stuff. He's very, I'm going to read this biography. You know, he's very planted in the real world, as we say. Yeah, but sure. this show he loved. To this day, he watches reruns. He calls me up about it. I do Bill Bixby impersonations. You know, we, you know, and it's just, it captures the heart and the mind for boomers to now see like, when when Iron Man came out in 2008, part of the reason it was so successful is boomers like me were dragging our whole families to see this. It's like, yeah. finally. Um, and I would love to see you in the MCU. I think it would be great. I can't wait to be there. I mean, that's 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 the way that I look at things. And I guess I guess that's like part of the reason that I've been su- successful, too, is that it's is that it's not like a dream that I wish I had. It's an actionable event that I work towards. Yeah. Um, so. So like even if I don't end up playing this specific character, uh, I'll I'll be I'll be something. <laughs> yeah, know? like yeah. Well, you you you've opened the doors, and hopefully, uh, the people, the executives, and the directors, and everybody will see your thirst, your hunger uh, for this in this uh, in this mini movie that you did. Um, and it's happened before. I mean, that's how. Um, uh, Vin Diesel got started. Vin Diesel sure. made a an indie film. I, I don't even think it was ten minutes long, and they showed it, and that his his star just took off from that point on. So it's yeah. possible, man. And a lot of other people have done it too. So it's gonna I be mean, if if you don't wait around and you take action and you bet on yourself, you usually not usually you you have a more of a of a probability to win. Yeah. Versus doing nothing at all. Well, you're you're one of the people that I um I, I use as as an example, believe it or not, of oh, wow. this taking action kind of thing. Because um, and let's talk about this. This is this ties into the, you know, everybody's talking about the secret and the law of attraction and all this other stuff. Mm. And you can't just sit and pray and hope it comes to you. You got to take action. So let, yeah. let's talk about that because you visualized where you wanted to go and you just started doing it. I did. I mean, it just, it, it's, it's like, uh, I get, I don't know. I, I call it hyperfixation on stuff. <laughs> um, but, um, a lot of it comes from, um, I did eight years of, uh, cognitive be- behavioral therapy. And when I was younger, uh, when I first got into foster care, and that teaches you how to take small incremental steps forward with your mental health and uh, like how to reach specific goals. Um, 
and it's applicable to literally every aspect of your life. Um, I remember I read, I forget who, who wrote it. Maybe you know, because you're more in the space, but I read an entrepreneurial book about doing this exact thing about like making your mundane actions basically autonomic so that you just do them automatically without, and, and they become less and less hard and less and less mon mundane because they become like breathing or blinking or whatever. Um, so so that you can kind of like jump right to the harder stuff uh so that's what i kind of um learned how to do uh any new thing that i wanted to add to my tool toolkit i would do that i would work slowly and meticulously through the beginning harder parts until i could like when i was at almost mastery or you know like could get to the point where where it would be mastery like like the the uh 10,000 hours concept. Um, and then, um, and then I would, then I would bring it to the public space and let people see what I was working on. Um, yeah, there's a lot of discipline in acting. People don't realize that I've always admired the people that, um, I have friends who work in a lot of different shows, you know, like person of interest or mm -hmm. CSI and their ability to memorize is way off the charts oh, yeah. <laughs> and then bring it into a performance. Um, yeah, craft. I, you know, it's a craft, just like a plumber or a mechanic. Yeah, it's a it's a craft job. So you learn how to do it, and you get better and better at it. And there is some um, uh, ma magic, as I as as they say. But but there there are plenty of perfectly good prof proficient actors that don't have the extra magic, but they work all the time. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Um, I want to get back to some of what you were saying. The you you take action and you do, let's say, a morning discipline. You have, let's say, you have five steps each morning. They eventually this becomes a habit, which becomes what they call unconscious competence. Mm -hmm. And so you don't even think about it. So that becomes your base, your foundation to move forward for everything else. Um, and I think it was Brian Tracy who wrote about this, but he said, "Eat the frog first which means takes your take your worst task, the worst thing you have to do, the hardest thing, and do it first in the morning. Mm. You just tackle it. You just go after it. Otherwise, you're going to keep putting it out at arm's length till the end of the day, and then you're, you're not going to put your whole heart into it. And a lot of times, I think, we make a bigger deal out of some of these things than they actually are. Yeah, and that's what I've learned too, is that like if you just do it it's less, it's less bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's a slogan better. we got to put on yeah. a t-shirt. If you just if you do, just it, do it's it, it, it's less bad. <laughs> I mean, just, just cause everybody wants stuff, right. And no one knows, knows how to go get the stuff that they want. Um, and I'm not claiming that I know how to do it. I know how to do it my way, right. Everybody's right. way is totally different. Um, but um, I just know like it was just for me in the beginning and that was a motivator. Now I'm married and I have a two year old girl. So that didn't make me, that didn't make me slow down and made me go harder, uh, which right. was interesting because I thought I was going to be like, I'll take some steps back. And I like actually had to actively calm myself down. So, so that I could be a better father and I could be a better husband. Um, because like I started a whole nother business 
off of the transformation of Ben Grimm by accident. So oh, like, wow. so like now I'm making my own podcast. I'm I'm c- collaborating with artists to to make merch, and then the merch goes into my project. You know, like so I so I'm selling all types of merch, and I'm doing live live streams, and I have a membership now with like people on a Discord server that like pay me monthly for to interact with them. And it's a, and it happened by accident because I was just promoting the fact that I was making the the transformation of Ben Grimm, and then people that had watched me on the tick were messaging me saying, "Hey, will you crowdfund this so that we can get like rewards for helping you make it?" And I was like, "You wanna you wanna give me money to make my audition for the MCU?" And they're like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, we do." Oh, can I curse <laughs> on the show? Yeah, we were okay with swearing. Okay. Um, so then I was like, okay. And I just kind of asked them, like, what do you want to see? Do you want to see like a, like a Kickstarter? Do you want to see like a Patreon? What do you want to see? And they were like, both It's like, all right. So I just started and I researched and I looked at other people's pods and, and other people's memberships and it's not perfect yet, but it's there and uh, it's, it's fun. It is. I've been blown away by the talent that I've seen rise up accidentally, or they just went for it. I don't know if you know who Matt Bush is, but we had him on on the show, and he's an official Star Wars artist. Uh, and and I was just blown away. He's doing his own movie now called Aladdin Thirty Four Seventy Seven Sci Fi, and the special effects are incredible. Um, I don't know if you know him. I'll introduce you if you need to. I don't, but, but I'd uh, love to meet him. Yeah, and he does this kind of stuff too. You know, he, he he's the only um, outsider, not really an outsider, but an artist who's had a stormtrooper named after him. You know, one of those twelve-inch stormtroopers. Yeah, that's they cool. have the Matt Bush version of that. So that's fantastic. I want to. I do want to go back to the tick because I think it. It. I'm not saying it launched your career, but it's one of the big stepping stones for you. I'm very disappointed they're not going to do another season or they they have left it kind of up in the air. And it's such a great, great IP. You know, it, it's, I love it. I mean, I, I have so much fun watching Me too, it. But and I, we all did. And we still talk about it all the time. It, it was abruptly canceled. We got canceled a week after we wrapped or like a or like two weeks after we wrapped. Uh, and it's because... Um, uh, the uh, it was around the time where the meet with the meet the Me Too movement was was really was really powerful, and the head of half half hour comedy uh, at over at Amazon had to resign because of things that that he had done, uh, which he should have not been there because he was awful. But the new head she canceled everything that he made except oh. for. The marvelous Mrs. Maisel because it had already won a bunch of Emmy awards. Um, well, so, and then they tried to get it picked up elsewhere, and a lot of other places wanted it, but because of how streaming works, Amazon wouldn't let go of the first two seasons. No. Um, so none of the other places wanted to have the first two on Amazon, and, and then they do three. Uh, and and then they continue on. So the show just kind of died died there because because of the con contracts as as they exist uh, now and why we're partially on strike is because of things like like this. Got it. Well, uh, take me through the audition. How did you get the role? Oh, okay. So I I didn't know that I was a 
that I was auditioning for it uh, because it was called the tick. Like it came, came in and I forget what it was called, but it wasn't called the tick. And um, so I went in and I pre prepared and I was like, Oh, it's just, it's just like a hench guy. It's fits for like a thing, whatever. I don't know what this is. And I walked, I walked in the room and the casting director told me, he's just like, she, she was like, all right, Josh, uh, this like, isn't normally what I normally call, call you in for this. Uh, this is actually a show called the, the tick. And I was like, Oh, like, like the superhero. And she was like, yeah, like the blue guy, you know, the blue guy with the, with, with the antenna. And I was like, I do. I know that <laughs> very well. Um, and I yes. came in. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> and she was like, all right, so you kind of have an idea for the world. And I was like, yeah, I, I do. So I did my first take and I did this really extreme character characterization like a high pitched voice, like new New York, like like crazy tick accent from mm -hmm. from like the the car cartoon agent and stuff. And uh, she was like, "Okay, we'll send that one, but that's not really what they're looking for anymore. It's not the cartoon. They want it to be more real and more grounded, but still funny. Do you do you think you you can mix those together?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, sure." So I did take take two, nailed it, left got in the elevator the elevator doors closed i started weeping in the elevator because i i was very proud of myself because i was in the room and i got hit with a thing that was really important to me and i was able to still do the work and be flexible and malleable and and give a good audition without having it overwhelm me and then overwhelm me later when i was in the elevator and when it was and when the doors opened at the bottom like i was like a mess and the people that were there waiting were like what's what's going on and i was like i'm fine i'm good and then you know you, you don't hear for a while that's just how yeah. it how it goes yeah. you like either hear or you don't um and i was literally waiting in a coffee shop to go to another audition uh, like a week later when I got the call from my manager that I had, that I was pinned. Uh, and then three days later I was booked. That's incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They say, you know, if what happens when you get your dream, what happens when everything you've hoped and wished for falls on your lap, mm -hmm. what happens? And uh, you're getting off the elevator. It's like big guy crying. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you crying, big guy? Hey, Mom, fella, you okay? You didn't get it, it was, did it you? Was, it was like the classic moment where 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 like pe pe people say like, when it shows up, are are you going to be ready for it? Type of thing. Yeah. And it was cool because I was like, I didn't let it like fuck with me, and I just did the work that I knew that I was capable of, and then I ended up on the show and. Here we are now talking on a podcast. It reminds me of, uh, I went to see the original uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory in, in 1973. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was old enough to walk to the theater with a dollar fifty. Wilder is, oh God, so yeah. good. Well, to this day, when Charlie opens that ticket, I'm leaning forward. I'm still on the edge of my seat. I'm that 10-year-old boy who saw it in the theater and I'm like, is, is he going to get it? Is that, you know, you're still enchanted in that. And I feel 
the same way from your story. Like I hear the music, you know, that Charlie Bucket, <laughs> the, the the strings waiting, and then and he opens it, da 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 da, you know, and I'm like. I got the gold. I'm going to be on the tick. (laughs) (laughs) That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And then like, and then I got another really great opportunity uh, in high maintenance that I shot in the middle of shooting tick season one, which is an, which was another amazing experience on that show. So it was great. Yeah. What was it like working with Michael Severus? So Michael is an incredibly giving, wonderful artist and just a yeah. really cool, chill guy. Um, uh, I Everybody that was on set with me, I have watched you know, on Broadway or on TV shows. And I was fans of, like huge, huge fans of. Yeah. And I had to pretend that I didn't know who they were until the rap party. And then at the rap party, I was like n- the nerdiest bitch in the world. <laughs> And I like ran up to people. And I was like, I've been watching you for, you know, like, oh um, my God. <laughs> yeah. But Michael was, was extra hard because I worked with him constantly until his character got killed, unfortunately. Um, and I, the, his last, last day on set, like, I was like, can we go out and get some, some like, let's, let's go get some beers and we'll get some food. And I just told him how, how much his career has influenced my own. And, uh, like, you know, he's Mr. Broadway. He's won so yeah. many Tonys. He's been in so many. He he was in the original pr- production of Tommy, Assassins. He was in Fun Fun Home, like, all these things. Yeah. Sweeney Todd, you know, like, all this stuff um, that I've watched, you know, since I was in high school in my, when I was in undergrad and in my master's program. And to be able to work with a guy like that who is also just, like, super normal yeah Uh, it was great i got introduced to him uh while watching fringe i'm like who is this guy everybody's Mm. talking about him and so i looked it up and i went whoa this is a heavy hitter i mean this is this is like this would be this is kind of like working with de niro i mean it's like what you know and here you're on also what's really interesting about fringe is that his 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 character mr sunday started the way mine did on the tick he was only supposed to be in two two episodes and then die (laughs) (laughs) that's crazy yeah and we had a whole conversation about that it was cool isn't that funny how it works Mm. i'll tell you what we we really laughed about uh my girlfriend tao we're sitting there laughing the way um peter serafinovich uh the way he plays the tick it's it's it, first of all, it's making fun of the whole Superman original Superman genre. You need to be, uh, you know, don't fight it, Arthur. You yeah, know, his lines, and he says them. I I've seen his work before, and I was cracking up because you know he usually plays a heavy, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, a, ser- a serious guy, a killer, or whatever. And him playing this was hilarious. Um, watching him interact, and I was every line. I mean, I'm I'm laughing, but. Your performance also was incredible because you did. I I don't know if this line was ad libbed. I don't even remember the line, but you said something so smart ass on the show. I just I fell off the chair because I know you. First of all, and I'm thinking, I wonder if he ad libbed that. And I, I'm sorry, I can't give you the details, but it it's was okay. just like it was just um, your performance every time you were on camera. Uh, 
really makes me realize why they kept asking you back. You, you, like I said, you have that je ne sais quoi. Thank you. I mean, we were, we, so we were very hooked in with the writers and, and with, with Ben. So um, we would talk heavily about the script and if things came, came up on set, they, they were happy to hear them. Um, so there were things that I tried to bring in that got cut. And there were other things that I brought in that, that got kept. Uh, but with, with Peter and Ben, they would actively, they would, because of how specifically smart, smart, stupid the tick is, um, you, they would get into it, like not in a bad way, but they would be waxing po poetic about like, which version of this word will sound better in this sentence to get the point <laughs> across, but, but in the, but would it be quirkier if it was this word instead of this word? <laughs> um, and it was interesting watching them rewrite certain things on the fly to make it more, not make it more weird, but make it more of like an ear, earwormy type of line. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've done that in, uh, I, I coach people for Ted talks and, uh, it, it's true, uh, especially with my background in comedy and things like this. If you get the right word, it's funnier. You right. know, they, they used to always say, well, Words that, that start with a K are funny, you know, but um, I remember this uh, woman who was black um, who did a TED talk and they asked me to coach her. And she was hilarious because she went and got her, uh, her mom and her got their DNA done. Mm. And it turns out they're, they're from England. They're English. They're, they're, you know, DNA says they're this British. amount of British, yeah. but they're black, you know, and I was rolling. I said, don't say English, say Turns out we're British. Well, yeah. the the British line got a bigger laugh because we tested it, and and the the house went crazy. And it is it boils down to that sometimes it's a better line, and especially for a character like the Tick, who's you know waxing like like it's a um, a soliloquy in mm -hmm. in uh, Shakespeare. Yep. Uh, so I found that hilarious. So what are you working on now? I know you did an uh, indie film. What is it called? Afterwards or what, what's it's, it called? It's, it's, it's called After. After. Um, so, so it's an indie series uh, and that's out on IFT Net, Network. It was, it, was, it was one of the first um, TV shows that I ever made that I wrote the whole thing uh, with, uh, with uh, two cool uh, partners, uh, Olivia Beck. Baptista and Tegan Curitz. Um, Olivia and I still work work together all the time. Uh, she's she's out in L A. and I'm here in New York, and we send each other scripts, and we're trying to. Uh, but basically, it's a so I partially this idea for for after came came to me when I was getting married, <laughs> which was really weird. Um, I had just said I do, and I was walking away from the from the tree because we didn't get married in a, in a church. We got married, married under a tree. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I just had this thought like, Oh, like, Oh man, like what, what would I do now if, if you died? Um, yeah. Uh, and it was just this really real, like brief, like, fuck, like, what am I going to do? Like, I love you so, so much. Um, that just, it was, it was, it was like a curse in my head. And I guess I had to like write it down. So I wrote like, what would happen to a person in their in their like late twenties or early 
30s who lost their wife and then had to like start over again yeah. uh so it's about a guy that moves home and like reconnects with with all of his people again and hooks up with his best friend again and he goes back into the dating scene and it's uh it's a dramedy uh so it's funny and sad and we talk about a lot of stuff that uh scares people like uh self-harm and things things of that nature yeah but uh people that watch it really like it so i think you're on your way to something really big my friend because oh, you just you. you know you're a triple threat okay um i always said this you know you and for those of you who don't know ladies and gentlemen hollywood thrives on stereotypes in the casting sheets i hate to say it big guy you know uh latino playing a drug dealer you know that if you looked at this stuff you'd be like what the hell are we really getting any further ahead in life uh but one of the things how tall are you by the way six two okay so you're not only tall you're you're husky big guy mm -hmm. um but you're also good looking and that is really a triple threat you know, when it comes into the acting world, because most guys are one or the other. They're either good looking or they're they're big. You know, there is no combo there. You bring that. You bring that thunder. You're a writer. You're a stunt guy. You know all the hand-to-hand -hand combat for stage and screen. Um, you you also do production. So yep. you understand the process. And and I love when you talked about this, you know, you this thought, you couldn't get rid of it. You had to write it down. Yeah. And and that this makes you a triple threat, my friend. Oh, thanks. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> I mean, seriously, you were in GQ magazine, for God's sake. I got to show that spread. How did that come about? Um, so uh, my manager said that G, GQ is trying to. So uh, plus size models like men with beards that are like brawny, like 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 me, there is this new brand of model called a brawn brawn model which now you see everywhere it's a large 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 guy with a beard you're there yeah. they're in target wearing like a flannel shirt or whatever but this was in like oh god i th think it was like 2014 or so um and it was the first time that they were really like we're gonna do it we're gonna show normal looking people that live in the world because most people look like us man like they're yeah. like 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 me and you brad like yeah. they don't look like yeah you know, I'm, I'm not andy Tom garcia yeah, yeah like you know like we're most most of america looks the way that we do and yeah. i mean we're fit and shit but like we're not like emaciated and you know <laughs> when I, when i enter a room i'm not like brad pitt where everyone turns and there's mm. a yellow golden glow around him <laughs> you know and everybody goes oh it doesn't work that way for the rest of us right 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 but they so i went to their casting and it was like how do you put a large guy in a suit yeah. and i actually learned a lot because i couldn't wear suits for a long long time because i didn't understand how they fit my body and I still have this problem to this day with professional costumers who don't know how to put clothes on my body. So I, yeah. so I had to learn how to do it myself so I could tell them what to do when it came time to put on costume. So I went to their casting mm -hmm. and then we took pictures or whatever. And I've had success in print because I always treated pictures like taking pictures as an acting performance. 
Mm-hmm. So people get really in, into the fact that I bring so much emotion forward on my face that they really they really love it. And I guess a conventional model, they just look, they manipulate their bodies to look a certain way. Whereas when I am doing it, I don't care if like I look a little weird or like I'm I'm looking quote unquote fat or whatever. I just yeah. go and they like that. It was a fantastic shoot. I was really impressed. And um, as a graphic designer, I know just enough about, you know, colors, suits, how do they should be cut. And I, I understand your frustration because modern tailors are just horrible. They, they squeeze and cinch the suit tight yeah, and they give you thin lapels. Well, if you're broad shouldered, you have to have a wider lapel. And you have to make sure that you aren't wearing a suit that has too much padding in the shoulders because you already got shoulders, you know, you got broad shoulders. So they, they, they really, sometimes you have to, like you said, you have to tell them how to cut your suit. It's true. And they also like my story and they liked that I knew how to sword fight. Um, (laughs) So like in, yeah. So in, so in the shoot, they, they, they asked me too late like they they're like hey can you get a broadsword for for the shoot and i was like i could have gotten a broadsword if you didn't ask me the day before the shoot right. so they went out and they bought like a prop toy sword that was like this long or whatever yeah. and if you go back and you look at the pictures in the corner of the shoot it's on the floor because they're like that looks stupid in your hands i was like of yeah. course it does it's a it's 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 a like like a 2 foot long plastic play sword for a kid i (laughs) (laughs) well in case you don't know folks uh new york city has prop shops you know you can go buy stuff so they just didn't give you enough time to get a a broadsword that was at least uh you know three and a half feet long four feet long um because that thing looked like a dagger in your hands (laughs) (laughs) look at the tiny little dagger (laughs) tiny he has a beautiful suit and it is ruined <laughs> with a tiny dagger. I use it to cut my cheese with, but I, you know, I'm not going to fight a dragon with, with that thing. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love how that came out because uh, it, it was well done. Let's put it that way. And they, cool. didn't, they didn't make it cheesy and they didn't make it like, hey, look, we're dressing regular people. You know, yeah. um, they really, they, you looked very, uh, for lack of a better word, debonair. How's that? Yeah, and How's it now that's how I buy and get all my suits cut is the way that they told me. Um, it was cool. Uh, the like head of their like men's uh, styling division, whatever it's called, there. Um, yeah. He really liked me a lot, and he like spent extra time answering all of my questions because I had because I had a lot of questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I might not be as big as you, but I have some of the similar uh, problems. You know, when you have, um, when I go to buy a shirt off the, the rack, I have a 17 inch neck, okay, mm. between 16 and 17 and a half, but I have 32, 33 arms. So I have short arms. Well, because of the, the neck size and the arm size, they assume I'm portly. So I get all this fabric on either side. And so I have to take it to a tailor to get it done. And then I have short legs on top of it. So I have the normal size torso of a certain suit size, and then the pants have to be a different size. So um, 
it's very frustrating because they don't have any of the old haberdasheries that they used to have in New York City anymore. Those right. are gone. I used to go to Wallach's to get fitted for my uh, my suit. You know. Oh wow, that takes yeah. you back. That's an yeah. old. That's an old one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple left, but they're they're extremely expensive now to the point where you know, yeah, because that's the thing. It's because people don't wear suits anymore. Yeah. That like. If you want to, you you have to go spend like three thousand dollars or whatever to get like to buy it and then and then have it custom fit to your body. I mean, what I usually do because it's cheaper and just as good is I'll go buy my my like size, which is like fifty six or something, or right. fifty eight, de- depending on the manufacturer, and then I'll just go to I'll go, I'll go to the dry cleaner and use and have them do it. And yeah. they usually have like a really talented person in there that knows, knows what they're doing. And they just gotta, they gotta take it in like a V shape. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. And then, and then it fits. And don't cinch it. I hate when they don't cinch, cinch it. it. <laughs> well, cause my arms are 20 inches and my calves are too, because so, I'm a, because I like work, out for functional strength like i'm not a bodybuilder yeah so i'm in proportion but i'm big <laughs> yeah, yeah. you, you kind of have like arnold schwarzenegger's size yeah you know you because he had 21 inch biceps or whatever and, right. and thick legs so you're really getting cut like a bodybuilder you yeah. know because you have the power lifter legs and size so that's good so um let's uh let's talk about the strike What's it what's sure. it really about? That's what I think a lot of people are curious about. What is the strike really about? Because I hear two things, but I'm gonna have you explain it. Yeah, so the strike is really about uh well it's 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 about it's about a lot of stuff, but 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 the three key things that are that people are hearing about is a a a pay a pay increase to match inflation because we just had a bunch of crazy inflation. Right. Um the streaming services pay and residual format, which is absolute trash, and the use of AI. So I'll go with the first one, which is to increase uh, for inflation. Um, the The union asked for an 11% in, increase for the first year to match what the current inflation level is based, based from the a great on pay pay scale from the 2020 con contract and then it would scale down drastically from 11 to 5 to 4 percent uh to like match normal inflation levels when they're not going out of control right um and the and the amt uh, the 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 amptp just said no to that they're like no you can have um five four three which would mean we'd be getting paid less than our old contract because of inflation which is crazy um and then the streaming services are on these old new media contracts that they all love because they you pay all of your artists 30 percent less than the national networks and your residual package is very bad (laughs) like um 
And because now all the major networks own their own streaming services, the days of um, syndication are are over. So it used to be that, you know, like if it was a really pop popular show, like say Friends, then once it did, did, did its run on wherever it was, let's let's just say that it was a ABC, then it would get pick, picked up on say CBS for an X X amount of time. And then all the artists on the show would get paid again. They would earn res- residuals again and all that stuff. Right. With the streaming services, that's not part of their contract. So they do a optioning deal with the network. So the network gets paid a flat rate and then they make money. And then the artists on the show don't see a dollar, even if it's watched like a hundred billion million times, like with shows like The Office and things, 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 things of that nature. Yeah. So the contracts are built for um, things that don't exist now. There's a new business model that, like Netflix, trades at a hundred at at, at five hundred dollars a share. That is not a new upstart, unprofitable company that needs to be on a lower indie type of internet contract, right? Like right. they need to, yeah, I would agree. get up to the professional level and pay pay the artists that are allowing them to trade at $500 a share. Yeah. Um, and we're not, at, we're not even asking for, we're asking for like less than 2% of their profit margin and yeah. they make so much money, so much money, billions and billions of dollars. And we're asking yeah. for like a tiny crumb please so that we can make our health insurance every year because that's a huge issue now is that 84 or like 86 of our members percent of our membership can't qualify for health insurance anymore. And it only costs $26,000 to qualify for the union health insurance. Right. And that is crazy to me. And it's because of the new model with the streamers where you would used to get a TV show. It was like 22 to 24 episodes long. And that's how it was. You would work yeah. for eight, eight months at a time. And then you would make all the money that you need to, needed to, you would qualify for your health and pension. Now there's 10 episode seasons. It's a truncated writer's room and it's a truncated shoot time where you shoot for three months. And then you, you, you get paid 30% less than, than you do. You don't get residuals, which, add towards your your health and pension so it's this is why yeah. we're on strike and and here's another thing people don't realize sometimes you're filming for weeks and your counterpart in a scene isn't on site with you at all you're on a green screen right so they're saving even more money because they don't have to build sets Correct. and i i've always been astounded like when the ceo of Disney gets a $60 million bonus at the end of the year. And I'm like, well, I know he's busy, but he didn't have his hands in these projects. I understand the executive producers work their tail off as well, sure. but um, to give people an understanding of what this is like, think of it this way. And this is one of my favorite stories. William Shatner, when he had done the original Star Trek series, when that was over, they didn't get royalties or residual checks at all. And Star Trek was one of the very first TV shows that went into syndication and made more money in syndication than it did 
um, you know, when it was being live broadcast. And Shatner saw none of that money. He was living in a camper pickup truck in the middle of New York City, uh, washing himself down at a fire hydrant in the mornings. And he talks about this, you know, he was basically homeless. Imagine being on such a wildly popular television show. And after they gave you your paycheck, they're done with you. And they make all this money off of your image, your acting, your, you know, your abilities. And this is what actors have to go through. And not just actors, but the people within the industry um, to fight for a pay raise, to look at and stay on constant uh, threat levels uh, to new technology that really undermines their ability to make money from their image and their acting and all these other things and what they're actually doing. So I take my hat off to you guys. I know it's a hard road and some people don't understand it. But um, I look at it this way, you know, it looks like Disney Plus has all of the the all the top shows. <laughs> they yank them from Netflix right. and Netflix. Uh, one of the guys from the office, he was on the picket line. He actually said, imagine uh, Netflix negotiates a deal where they get the office on there. And he goes, I get paid for three months of that. And they get five years of pure profit of just people watching this over and over again. Yeah. And this is what people are negotiating for. It's like, hey, um, we want a piece of the action and we now have a new platform. And let's talk about this because, you know, Disney right now has had like six failures in a row. And, you know, we could say it's, well, it's all woke stuff, you know, and all this. But the reality is, is the model is changing. The model to go to the movie theater has shifted now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you said, well, we're in the green room. Um, you became a voiceover actor because of COVID. Right. Um, we're all adjusting to this new world. So let's let's talk a little bit about that, Josh. I mean, Marvel not doing well um, with, with 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 their past couple of projects, and I do agree with that. And I don't think it has has to do with people saying "quote unquote" woke stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, pe- people get up writers' asses about stuff like like that but um tv shows and movies are large largely made especially large tent pole things like like those are usually made um before they're made via like a like a like a with like a focus group like what are what do people want to see what demographics need to be represented more stuff stuff like that like all normal shit that has always happened forever Right. Basically, like, where's where's the money coming from? Um, and, you know, that's how it's going to be for, forever. So yeah. uh, people that don't like the way certain things are written, it's like it's not being written for you, and that's okay. Yeah. It's being written for some other people, and they're enjoying it. And, you know, there are plenty of things for you and me and everybody else. Yeah. Um, it's uh it's it's like really it, it's it seems like it's all been rushed and truncated and um whereas i haven't seen the the last comic book movie that i saw uh was guardians of the galaxy 3 mm-hmm. and i've seen other and i've seen comic movies after and i've seen them before in this phase i feel and i've spoken about this publicly before that the first 10 years 
because they built it out slowly, they took their time and they built to the Infinity Saga and they really spent the time to really like get the people into the world, into these characters and all that stuff. You got the payoff that you wanted. You got people, me included, crying in the movie theater when I saw Endgame and like Captain America picking up the hammer and like all that stuff, like screaming, going fucking crazy, like having this collective human experience that I haven't had in a movie theater in mm -hmm. in years and years, you know? Um, and then phase four comes out and we're just blasting characters out into your face in a way that the comic books don't even do. Like right. America Chavez is one of the most important characters in the Young Avengers. She's the leader of the Young Avengers. And we get introduced to her in Multiverse of Madness, which is a movie that is half Sam Rami, half Marvel, half like, and then also like, it's like noted to hell. So you can see where like Sam had to make compromises and he can't tell his story and Marvel's trying to tell their story and they're also um they're um they're retconning their own story because they wrote something else in a tv show and because everything is so bubbled and so fucking secretive that no one can talk to the other show or the other movie to get shit straight the way that they used to yeah to me that's where the issues are it's 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 that it's time we need we need the same time and care that, that you put into the first 10 years yeah. that, that you'll move forward with. And I think they're understanding that, which is why they're pulling projects and they're trying to slow it down. Um, but yeah, so that's my two, two cents on that. It's true. I think you hit the nail on the head because, you know, they're the, all they care about at the top is, you know, can we make money? Let's put out a new product. Let's do this. Come on. And they kind of ignore the fan base. I really get upset, you know, with how they treated Star Trek for many years. I'm a big Trekker fan, if you haven't sure, guessed. Sure, me, me too. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, I like Star Wars, don't get me wrong. But Star Trek to me is based on what would happen if the human race actually evolved, you know, as a group. Um, and so it's it's kind of based in reality a little bit. But I, I would watch how Paramount would treat that property as if it was dog poop. You know, because yeah. they literally didn't get the fan base. Well, they don't even know why they like Star Trek. And for many years, Paramount would have had to file bankruptcy except for Star Trek. Uh, and I know that because I had people, friends who worked at, at Paramount. But uh, I agree with you. I think Marvel, um, you know, Disney, you know, whoever's behind all this, they keep rushing things into production. And I have to be honest with you, fans get tired. And I remember when I went to see Solo, it, they think it bombed in the theater, but the reality is, is we had so many Star Wars sagas to choose from in that three-month period. It was almost like, well, well, I'm tired, you know? And it's not like in the 80s where I would literally see a movie every single weekend every month and then maybe take a break for two or three weeks. And then the summer, all these blockbusters would come out on the same weekend. And you outside the theaters, it would be packed. 40, 50 people out in the street just waiting to get online to see whatever movie. And they'd release three at a time on a Friday or Thursday. And uh, they had to stop doing that because they started to realize people don't have the money that they used to, that extra capital to just go, oh, I want, I'm just going to go see a couple of movies this weekend. 
And so now we are entering into another phase where the business has changed again. And uh, I really want to see you on The Mandalorian. I have to be honest with you. I'd love to get, be on The Mandalorian. Get you in some armor, baby. Get you in some battle. <laughs> I mean, in my opinion about the, about that particular movie, Solo, that didn't work because it wasn't a movie about Han Solo. Um, be, because of the reshoots and because for whatever reason they didn't end up liking him as the character, so they re rewrote and they reshot and they made it an ensemble movie. Uh, like I watched it a couple of times, and um, the character of Han Solo has normally there's like if you're if you're the lead of a big big movie, like three quarters of the scene of the scene scenes of the film are supposed to be you in the middle of frame, emoting or doing it or doing whatever it is that you're doing, and he had like two or three. And there were other characters that had more intense moments than the than Han Solo did, cons- like constantly and 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 consistently through, throughout the film. So right. to me, that's why the film failed because because they were trying to fix it uh, because they thought it was bad. I I can see that now. Now that you explained it, I can see you know the 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 female robot lead, and then um, you know the um, the, the woman who betrayed him and then, uh, yeah. Lando, you know, they had to introduce all these new characters. Um, and, and so I see that now. Yeah. That was interesting that, uh, you broke it down. But and you're in the, the industry that, that, that you were just talking about where, so, um, the, uh, the production companies stopped doing the multiple movie weekends. Maybe it was be because of money, but, also because they wanted to harvest as much money out of one movie as possible. And it became this thing where they wouldn't release anything together. Like with the, the, the whole Barbie Heimer thing that's been happening now. Yeah. So I've, I saw both in the same week and I haven't seen a movie right after another movie in the same, same week since they did this money harvest crap. Um, but they are, they're both incredible for their own reasons. And I'm not even supposed to be talking about this because I'm on strike. <laughs> um, but um, it's because it, it, it works because it's, they're both good quality films and they're being released at the same time and they're not taking away from the other. Yeah. And that's what we've lost. Like as, as boards are banks and they're not artists or people that have been working in the industry before, as you take the humanity out of the arts, this is the bullshit that, that starts happening. Yeah. Like back, like back, back in the golden age, the I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just like ranting, but, <laughs> but like back in the golden age, the heads of the studios came from the floor. They worked in the field. They worked behind the cameras they understood what it took yeah. to make to make a product. Now, and I, I, I'm, what am I like, thirty seven? But, but like, I feel like an old guy. It's like these newer people don't know what the fuck it takes to get their hands in the fucking mud and make and make yeah. a film or or make a TV show. I agree with you. You know, there, a lot of people come out, you know, with a, an MBA in business. 
and they've never owned a company or they've never been on the front lines. That's why I like uh, when Jack Welsh put together his, uh, you know, his uh, series where you had to go uh, and get a black belt. Uh, I forget what it was called, but he he basically made everybody spend a week in the lowest roles within the company so that they could learn what people went through. Mm. And I love that. And today we don't have that. I really do believe there's a disconnect um, from the executive suite to the people doing the production. And the, the best story I know of, you know, to compare that to is when Disney's animation studios were putting out one flop after another and couldn't figure out what the hell was going on while Pixar and DreamWorks were taking off. They eventually basically bought Pixar because they 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 had uh, they had to learn that the right. the media had changed, and John Lasseter, uh, head of of uh, Pixar, he had a stipulation in the contract that says we will be teaching Disney, not the other way around, how to do our version of animation because they have their own university. Yeah. You go to Pixar's university to learn animation, and they. That was just smart because, you know, you can't sit there and say, well, we're, we're Disney, you know, that's ego driven. It's not driven. You, you were great in the past, but we moved on from 2d animation into a whole new world now. And, you know, movies like, um, toy story and Shrek, uh, if you ever take a class in cinema history, these two movies are landmark movies because the technology caught up. And really, not only made the, you know the first full feature animation film, uh, but it was also 3D. Shrek uh, had figured out how to do hair instead of it being a cap on the character's head. It now flowed. A uh, lighting, the computer took lighting seriously and set building, and you know it's just incredible how your industry has is almost forced to take these leaps, not only because of technology, but because of of people's habits. I feel like the the movie industry is really a barometer for how business keeps shifting, especially in the 21st century. Oh sure. Oh yeah. Which 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 was the third third point about why we're on strike that 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 we didn't talk about. I mean, the union isn't against AI. Like we put put together an entire presentation for the negotiations about how it can be used to benefit making film and they refuse to even hear it um they wouldn't even listen to it and it's just a new technology that is is meant to aid not replace right like i got my start really doing tv and film doing background work and one of the things that um the um it's the the merged hbo and um discovery c ceo was a max now it's a great name by the way uh max um <laughs> max wants to scan a background artist one and pay them once and use them in per- perpetuity forever and never pay them again but if you do that to a person in in the industry and that's where a lot of us start you've removed them from the industry forever yeah they won't even be able to be anything because they'll be in the background of their own show. Yeah, they'll 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 create clones and not pay you. You're right. the original. And uh, yeah, so it's like a compensation package. Like we 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 understand that you're going to feed a hundred years of 
of performances into an AI and try to make an AI actor. Yeah. But there's nothing we can do about that because that's the way the wheel turns, you know, we're yeah. moving forward, but what are you going to do without us? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I look at the deep fake footage that comes mm-hmm. out, you know, Schwartz and you're being in the sound of music and stuff. And it, it looks like him. I'm like, wow. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Folks, if you may not understand um, the the brevity of all this, um, I I always look at the Crispin Glover debacle in uh, Back to the Future too. Um, he didn't get along with the director, uh, and they decided to just not invite him back. They used an actor who was built like him, and because they had made masks molds from the previous Back to the Future one. They just put this mask on the the new actor and didn't pay Crispin a dime, even though they were using his image. So he sued the studio. And if you if you watch the that movie, I, I believe that's one where they were in the future. Him and and the, the Crispin Glover was in this thing to help his back, and he was upside down, so you wouldn't see it's not Crispin Glover. And so, using an artist's image <laughs> for the rest of their life and not paying them for it. Um, it's just, it's, it's not right. Let's put it that way. It's not. So how do it we would, get a hold of you, my friend, by the way, if we need to reach out, if any of my fans want to talk to you or, and, uh, I'm going to introduce you to Matt Bush, by the way. Sure. I mean, I'm very in, interactive on all of my social medias, uh, on my website, joshuashubart.com. There's like a contact form. So if you want to reach out to me there, um, I respond pretty quickly to to people that like actually want to interact and like aren't trying to like send me pictures of their penises or anything so yeah yeah that's a that's a bad thing yeah i'm not interested any anyone's body i'm not interested in 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 thank you but no thanks thank you all right weirdo um (laughs) thank you for being on awakened nation i'm gonna ask you three quick questions here in our lightning round uh because um you know, you're, you're pretty much an open book, but, uh, I just wanted to ask you number one, what would be the dream actor or actress you'd want to work with? Oh, so I want to work with Willem Dafoe very badly. Yeah. He's, he's one of my favorite actors of all time and his process, how he works through a script, how he works through a character. Um, it would be incredible to work with him. I I love his work and I love him as a person. I I've never met him, but I love his worldview and all that stuff. What what's your favorite movie of his? That that he's been in. Um. Yeah. So he was it Nes Nesferatu. In the, he, it's it's my favorite too. Yeah. Um, in the Shadow yeah, of the Vampire. Yeah, in the Shadow of the Vampire. It was so one good. of my favorite performances of of like of any actor is is that. He was so good. Well, he was he was he was bouncing off of um, uh, what's his name? Uh, his name just dropped out of my oh, head. Oh, um, uh, Malkovich, John Malkovich. Malkovich. Yeah. Him and John Malkovich were like playing off of the. He's like, I told you not to kill my cameraman. He's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. he gets it down so perfectly, and he isn't really sure if he's a vampire or not until the end scene, which is then it, they're filming and no one's showing up on the mirror as he's walking yeah. in front of him. It's just so subtle. I love that one. And I love, not- like, he made, like, a great quote, like, 
sometimes building a character is just putting in some teeth and there's nothing more real than that like yeah like like you put in a like a you like wear something on your face or you put in teeth and it informs your entire character's life and i just love that's that's honest about the craft yeah so i love it i love that he's so so fucking honest that is and he's a brilliant actor yeah my second question is um what's it like to be a dad and a husband and all these things and juggle your career i i just see great pictures of you and your wife and your daughter um what's that all like now it's great. Um, being 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 a dad is a thing that I wasn't sure of in the beginning, uh, just just because of my up, upbringing in my life, and um, I wasn't sure that I'd be good at being a dad. Uh, but I love being a dad. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, and being able to parent with my wife um, and just raise our daughter and have these fun experiences and letting letting her grow up in a way that i wasn't able to that to me is is beautiful and and wonderful and it's like uh it's like i'm giving myself a gift by giving her the life that i should have have had um i love it (laughs) i think you try harder because you're uh, experiencing foster you know care and I had a lot of good role models too. Like my my foster father, who I just call he's he's my my dad. He unfortunately passed in twenty twenty one due to COVID complications. Um, he was incredible. Like he took me and my two younger sisters in um, to his home, and he he was our dad and yeah. uh, loved us with all of his might. And uh, he's one of my role models in my life and yeah so i um i was raised by my stepfather as well and i don't know any other father so he's my dad and um even when my parents got divorced you know he was there like the north star my whole life um i never met my biological father uh you know my mom and dad got married at six you know so i was at the wedding (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah i'm rooting for this yeah that's great um but you know, oh, I understand. Fathers are great. They're great yeah. because they choose. They they choose to do it. Yeah. And there's something more power. Like not. It's not that it's better or, or 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 worse, but it's just so powerful when a person choose. They actively choose to do it, and then they love it, and they love you. It's just it's just so cool. You know. Yeah, it is. I've raised three stepkids because of it. You know, I just stepped up to the plate and. You've met Sebastian over at mm-hmm. uh, Barnes and Noble, so he's now working in television. Oh, cool! Yeah, he runs a an ESPN affiliate, does sports. That was his dream job. He's the director. Oh, that's great. He it's runs so the whole cool thing. Here. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, he went off to college to get that degree. So, my third and final question: In everything you've achieved, in all the auditions, in all the people you've worked with, everything you've done, what's your favorite memory from from all of this? Oh my God. All right. <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down to one. I know. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think about. Okay. So one of my favorite memories was 
and I'm I'm gonna try to make this not sound petty and shitty because it's not supposed to. Right. But it was my first on location day for the Tick season one. And it was the first time that there were e- extras on set. Um, and I hadn't done back background work in like three four years at that point because I was trans because I had transitioned over to only doing speaking parts. And I and it was like I was on set and these people that I had worked with a lot and we knew each other and I was in a scene and they called cut and a couple of them walked, walked up to me and they were like, Josh, you, you did it. You did it. You did it. You're, you're here. Like, we can't believe it. Like, we're so happy for you. And I was like, I, I am so happy too. (laughs) Like, it was it was like one of those moments where it was like I was so happy to see them, and I was so happy that they got to they got to see me. Does that sound weird? Like I was just so happy that yeah. like we could that we could like I don't know we could all be in the in in that moment yeah. together. Here's a a story that I I read years ago and it just touched me because you know you did you you took the risk and you went to the next level and you went on the other side, but. Ray Bradbury used to tell this. It was a short article that was written in a magazine where he, when he first moved to Hollywood, he was a kid and he would deliver newspapers on the corner. And his route was right outside of one of the studios. And he noticed there were people who would stand around the studio all day waiting to get a glimpse of anybody famous and they would get their autograph. And this is what they did all day. They didn't work. They didn't do anything. They waited and they would get the autograph of, you know, Kirk Douglas or whatever. And um, years later, when his first movie came out into the theater, he was entering the theater and he had hung out with these people for years, you know, up until he was a teenager. But he's heading into the theater and somebody recognized him because he was young still. He said, Ray, Ray, little Ray. And they're like, yeah. He goes, what are you doing here? You know, he's all dressed up with his wife and everything. He's about to go in. And he goes, Oh, this, this is my movie. And they just looked at him like, wow, how did, how did you do that? Yeah. Almost. And then one of them turned around and go, well, we'll get his autograph. You know? <laughs> and everybody rushed him. And, and I kind of, I liken it to that. You had a dream, you had a goal and you manifest it. And honestly, my friend, I see you doing much bigger stuff after the strike is over. I can see it. Um, I really want to see you in the MCU. You. Uh, I'm just so jazzed you're on today. Thank you, Josh, for being on Awakened Nation today. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming. This is great. I know. All right. Hey, everybody, tune in next week. We're going to have another great guest. And until then, take care and reach out to Josh, my friends. Just you know, become a fan. He's really great at his craft. I can be it. I know. I watch everything he does. So thanks, Josh. Have a good one. Thanks, Brad. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week.